0: Open your Bible to 2 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to be there in just a moment. So Leah and I have been to Jared's, the, the diamond store, only a few times. Um, so the first few times, it was when we were like looking for a ring, and afterwards, uh, we go there to get her ring cleaned. It's, uh, it's a very useful system there. And what's interesting about a jewelry store is that they have like just absurdly expensive things there and when they i guess in in the planning process when they're like hey what what material should we get to put these really expensive stuff in they were like hmm glass yes a notoriously breakable substance that is what we are going to use to to keep these very expensive jewelry things in and obviously they do that because you can see through glass it's transparent And Paul is going to say something pretty similar here in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We talked last week about... The treasure contained within these jars of clay. And this week we're going to be talking about these clay jars. The fact that uh, we have been given this incredible message, this incredible treasure, this ministry of life that is working life in us and transforming us, and we can share it with other people. It's incredible. And we have this eternal ministry, uh, this life-giving, unfading, permanent thing, wrapped up in these bodies that last, you know, 60, 70, 80, 100 years, if you're lucky, and constantly beset by trials and perils. And Paul says the reason that we have this treasure in earthen vessels is to show that surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That like these glass cases in a jewelry store, we are fragile, but we're also transparent. And we are set here around this brilliant treasure to show the treasure and not ourselves. And so this morning, as I said, we're going to be talking about these clay jars. And we're going to talk about three things that these clay jars do. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, these clay jars, these bodies that we inhabit, this life of peril and and turmoil is given to us so that we can point others and ourselves to eternity. These clay jars point us and our audience to look toward eternity. So the first thing we've already begun talking about, the first thing that these clay jars do is that they show the surpassing power belongs to God. They point to God's power. And this, we'll read um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5 through 10. He says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. So Paul says, we have this message, this, this treasure, but we're not proclaiming ourselves. That's what he says in verse 5. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is our Lord, and with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. He says, when we're presenting our message, it's obvious that Jesus is the message. Jesus is uh, the one that receives all the glory, and we're just servants. And when we look at ourselves as jars of clay, it's again obvious that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That is, we are carrying around this message, this treasure, that we need to make it really obvious that Jesus is the source of the power and that we are just vessels. And the reason that this works is because when God is allowed to shine through our weaknesses, he gets the glory. It says this uh, in, in a different way in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when Paul's talking about his thorn in the flesh. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll start in verse 7. 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 7, he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then... I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So if we come back to chapter 4 with this insight in mind, we can see that as opposed to the world who wants to hide all of their weaknesses, that we have an advantage in our, the gospel is aided when our weaknesses are obvious, because in, when, we, when our weakness is evident, it is clear that the wonderful things happening through us is not our power, but God's power. And we can talk about this in, in, a, in a lot of different ways. I see this most evidently uh, in, in, in my life, in the fact that I, I preach. But if you've ever like had a conversation with me, it's pretty evident communication, not one of my strong suits. But for some reason, uh, this is something that I do, and I think that I do it fairly well. And I think that the reason for that is not because of my power, but it's because of God's power. And it's even more evident when the weakness of my skills is contrasted with the power of the gospel and the good things that are happening when God is able to use me as a vessel. And so A lot of times we can look around and we can say, oh, look, all these people, they've got skills I don't have. You know, I just I'm not sure that I can do what they're doing. It's like, okay, well, that's that's a great first start, because if you say I can't if I'm not sure I can do that, I don't have that power, then you're already uh, on your way. To letting God's strength shine through your weakness. Now Paul specifically here is talking about physical weakness. He says in verse 8, We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So here, he's saying that the fact that uh, we are so fragile, (laughs) that as, as ministers of God's people, we are constantly being beaten, and it's showing our physical weakness is evidence of the power of God that we can keep pressing on and we can keep um, doing what we do despite the frailties of our bodies. But I think it's important for us to recognize that there are going to be a lot of things in life that are going to stop us or attempt to stop us from doing what God wants us to do. But that if we let our weaknesses stand in our way, then we're not going to be able to do what God wants us to do. But instead, if we let our weaknesses highlight the power of God, then we can have tremendous strength. So, before I leave this point about our weakness showing the power of God, I want to do a little bit of of a deep dive here uh, on something that I found very fascinating, and I think you will, if you hold on with me, uh, you will find this to be encouraging and enlightening, because I had not really thought about it this way before. But uh, in Corinth... There, it's, a, it's a hub of all kinds of philosophy, specifically Stoic and Epicurean philosophy. And what the Corinthians wanted from a philosopher is someone living the good life that can teach them how to live a quality life. And when they looked at Paul, they were like, Paul, that's not you. But Stoke and Epicurean philosophers, they're peddling different kinds of philosophies, but both of them seem to uh, agree somewhat in this. That if you can dig down deep enough, you can find an internal strength to weather any sort of peril. I've got a quote here from Epictetus, which is about 50 years too late for Paul, but same sort of thing. He says, I must die, must I then die lamenting? I must be put in chains, must I then also lament? I must go into exile. Does any man then hinder me from going with smiles and cheerfulness and contentment? but I'll put you in chains. Man, what are you talking about? Me in chains? You may fetter my leg, but my will, not even Zeus himself, can overpower. So there's this idea, effectively, that we are in control of the way we feel about things. That's what uh, these philosophers were saying. And so they might also give a similar list to what Paul says here of, oh, I'm going through all these hardships, but I'm strong. I can overcome them. And on the surface, this might look similar. And yet while these people are, the, these philosophers are spreading this idea of, you know, if you dig down deep enough, you can find the strength inside of you, you can find the uh, e- equilibrium to, to go through any sort of peril without really feeling the pains of this life, Paul has a totally different thing that he is expressing. If you look at what Paul has said so far, you could look maybe in, uh, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where he says in verse 9, Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. In chapter 7, he talks about uh, God who comforts the the depressed. Uh, Paul is constantly explaining to these uh, Corinthians that he is enduring all kinds of trials. And it's not like these philosophers who are saying, you know, if you just find the peace within you that you can overcome anything. Paul's saying, no, I feel all of these pains distinctly. That it's hard and that we are weak, but that our weakness allows us to rely on God. And so I, I want to, to make the strong case, which is, again, uh, this is, I think, the, the nugget that we get from this that I had not really thought about very much. But that is that Christianity is not some sort of philosophy that helps us to overcome the pains of life. We talk a lot about uh, the peace that passes understanding, that people are going to look at us and they say, oh man, you're handling these trials so well. How do you do that? And of course, there is, a, there is something to that. There absolutely is. But Our strength comes from God. It's not a a reliance on ourselves. It's not a peace that comes from within us, but it's a peace that comes from relying on God. And so in contrast to the philosophies of man that say, oh, if you just find the strength within you, then you're not going to feel the perils and pains of life. Christianity says, no, it's going to hurt. But if you lean on God, chapter six, uh, verse 16 of chapter 4, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. It's not that life is not going to hurt. It's not that we are not weak. It is that we are weak. But that if we lean on God, he has the power to get us through. And we understand that the trials of this life, as heavy as they may be, are nothing compared to the eternal glory of God and the eternal uh, wonder of heaven that awaits us. And so, we have weakness. We are constantly being uh, defeated by the trials of life, but if we lean on God, he has that strength, and his strength is able to shine through us, and that's the power of the jars of clay. That's number one. Number two I'm going to go through this pretty quickly because we've talked about this a lot. And I also uh, kind of want to get to to point three. But this is essential in setting up point three and essential to understanding the text. So in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 10, he says, We are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised Jesus, Lord Jesus, will raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence." For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So, what Paul is saying here in a nutshell is that as clay jars, we carry this paradox of life and death, and especially as clay jars representing and reflecting the life of Jesus. He says in verse 11, We who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, that there are two important things that Jesus did that we are going to emulate that is going to mean that we carry around some sort of paradox of life and death. The first is that Jesus suffered the the crucifixion before he was able to be raised from the dead. And so we know that suffering comes before glory. But the second thing is that Jesus suffered death So that others may have life. And in parallel, Paul says, if I'm living out the life of Jesus, then I am going to go through all kinds of trials to bring life to you guys. And so that's what he says in verse 12. So death is at work in us, but life in you. That because of the fact that he's carrying the gospel and he's encountering persecutions, that is hard for him. He's encountering death constantly but life in you, that this is for their sakes, so that the Corinthians can have the life that comes from the message of the gospel that is causing Paul so much physical pain in this life. And so, as clay jars, we carry around this paradox of life and death, that that suffering comes before glory, and that suffering is what leads to others receiving the life of Jesus, so that when we receive the death of living out the life of Christ, then others receive the life that Jesus gave us. Uh, So, the life of Jesus, the life that he lived, lived in us, results in our death, which results in life for others, the life that Jesus gave. And this uh, somewhat paradox is something that we carry around with us, and it is essential as we enter into the third point, which is the exciting point, and also perfectly uh, appropriate for today on Easter, um, that these clay jars make us long for eternal life. That as we, can, as we are broken, cracked pots, carrying around this eternal message, that we also begin to realize that we, just like the old law, which was given for a temporary time, but was meant to be fulfilled in Christ, and replaced, and also changed into something more permanent, more exceeding in glory, to be transformed from one degree of glory to the next, that we also are currently in a temporary state that is not meant forever and that it's not meant to have a surpassing eternal glory, but has a a temporary glory for a time, and that this body will be swallowed up in life, and that we will follow Jesus just as Jesus was given a resurrection body, so also will we be given a resurrection body if we suffer like Jesus did. And so, with that, let's read verses 16 uh, through uh, verse 10 of chapter 5. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we will all appear, we must all appear, before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So, there's a lot to unpack here. A whole sermon's worth, really. But, Paul says, these clay jars remind us that there's something waiting for us eternal. He says, we do not lose heart. And this connects us back to the boldness that Paul has this is really this whole section from the end of chapter 2 to the beginning of chapter 7 is a defense of Paul's boldness with this gospel and we talked about the treasure last time but now we're going to talk about these jars of clay that are leading to uh, resurrection that are leading us to a hope of resurrection and he says hey we may be in jars of clay but we are not going to lose hope we have courage because though our outer self is wasting away, so though we live in these, these clay jars that are constantly being persecuted and crushed and all these, well not crushed, persecuted and all of these terrible things, that still we persist. Because though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. This inner self, this unseen self that is eternal, this unseen self that we see not with. Uh, eyes of man, but we walk by faith and not by sight. And there is an inner person that is being renewed day by day that although Paul's body is wasting away, his spirit, his faith, his inner self that longs to be with God. I mean, he's, he's growing stronger every day in this sense. He says, for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This goes back to point two, that we have to endure sufferings if we're going to receive glory. And he says, listen, the glory and the sufferings are not even worth comparing. That the, the glory of the, of the glory that awaits us, is the, that weight is so much infinitely more than anything we're going to go through now that we can't even compare it. And so we, we suffer in this life. But it reminds us that there will be a time when we will not suffer. Back to point one. We are weak, but soon our weakness will be transformed. As we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That we have this hope because we are longing for something better, something different, something beyond. That these frail bodies will be transformed, will be swallowed up with life. That these earthly tents will be replaced with heavenly dwellings. That we are destined for something more eternal. And so, as we enter here into chapter 5, that's what he says. We know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. And so he says, we're here in this life beset by weakness, beset by trials and and troubles, but that we're groaning for something better. And this is very different from the cultural context of of resurrection at this time. Because if you were to read uh, some of the, the writings of the philosophers and uh, writers from this time, uh, they have an idea of life after death. But it's not a life after death that anyone would really want. Some of them uh, will say that life after death is uh, your soul being released from your body and it goes into Tartarus and just wanders around kind of wastelessly. Then the other idea would be that your soul is released from your body and it goes to like be a star or live on a star or be with the gods or something. But in either sense, we've got this kind of dichotomy of soul and body, that the soul moves on, but the body remains. And Paul says, no, 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 don't don't get this confused here. What we are expecting is not some sort of bodiless existence, that's not liberating. He says we're, lo- we're groaning, longing not to be released from this body, but to be released from this time of trials and to be consumed, to be swallowed up by life, that we would have a more eternal dwelling, just like Jesus did. That Jesus, he rose from the dead, not as a, some disembodied spirit, but as a physical body. And so also we have that same hope, if we suffer with him, we will be raised with him. And so he says, we uh, we have this tent, but we want our, our, our forever home, the home that is not made with hands, that is eternal in the heavens. And we don't want to be found naked, but we want to be further clothed. Verse 4, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, has given us the Son as a guarantee that we have this hope, that this life is not all there is, and that although we are weak, although we are suffering, that there is something beyond this, that just as we are carrying around an eternal message that far exceeds the glory of the message that came before it, so also we are anticipating more something beyond this life, something more permanent, something beyond, that these jars of clay are meant to point us to something better. That is an eternal dwelling in the heavens. And God, through the Spirit, has prepared us for it. And so, remember this is all connected to Paul's uh, boldness. Paul says, listen, because I know I've got this waiting for me, nothing in this life can really hurt my spirit. He says in verse 6, we're always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we'd rather be away from the body than with, uh, and at home with the Lord. He says, listen, what's the worst you can do? You're going to kill me? Cool. Then I would be where I want to be, away from this earthly body and in heaven with God. That's what I want to happen. That would be the best outcome. And so we have this courage because we're people that walk by faith and not by sight. And so if we were walking by sight, we'd be scared. And all of these trials and temptations, they would knock us off our feet. and We wouldn't be able to keep going. But because we have this hope, because we have this perseverance, this perspective that comes from the treasure of Jesus, then we're walking by faith and not by sight. And we are happy we are of good courage, and we want to be with God. And so he says, verse 9, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Whether we're here or whether we're uh, in moving into the next life, that all we want to do is be pleasing to God. And if that's the case, if, if we hold dearly to this treasure, the gospel and the sharing of the gospel, the gospel's regenerative efforts in our lives, and its ability to transform other people, if that's our aim, as it was Paul's, then nothing else matters. And that's what we can focus on. And so we can, we can have this courage to please God wherever we are, in whatever state we are, because that's what we were trying to do. And then he ends in verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what is done in the body, whether good or evil. And here... We see Paul coming back to uh, what he's saying in general that he's got a message to proclaim. It's an important message and the Corinthians need to hear this message and he needs to proclaim it boldly because there are ramifications for our actions beyond this life. There is a resurrection and with a resurrection comes a judgment. And so because there is a judgment, Paul says, I need to live purely. You need to live purely. We need to let this message impact us and as a minister of the gospel, as someone spreading the word of Jesus, as all of us are in some capacity, we must share it because there is a judgment. And we need to be ready, and we need our audience to be ready. We need the people around us to be ready. And so we need to preach with boldness. And that's going to be perilous for us. That as we, to share this message of life, it's going to mean death for us but we also understand that in order to receive the final life in order to receive the glory just as jesus must suffer before he received the glory so or must have suffered past tense uh, so we also must suffer but to receive the glory and as although we are weak in this life we are weak because it reminds us to rely on god in the eternal power and it points us and it points our audience to god so that they understand that the final strength comes from god and so all of these things, this, these clay jars that we're walking around in, these weak bodies beset by weakness and perils and, and terrible things, they remind us to look to eternity. They remind us there's something more beyond this life. And as we look at the life of Jesus that he lived, we also will live with him if we suffer with him and we recognize that these sufferings of this life, they, they, no comparison to the glory awaiting us. And so we look to heaven, and all these trials, they don't get us stopped up because we want to be with God. And whatever happens, if we are trying to serve God, we're going to be with God. We make it our aim to please Him. And so, as we conclude this morning, our hope is that we can all be swallowed up in life, that these bodies will someday be changed, and that we will be with God. And while we suffer in this life, as we spread the gospel, we are looking to eternity. We are remembering what is forever and not looking at what is transient, looking at what is unseen and not what is seen, because that is what matters. We want to be with God. We want to be swallowed up in life. Let us pray this morning, and then uh, we'll be dismissed to class. Let's pray. Our God, we are so thankful to you for giving us the treasure of your word and the uh, eternal glory that that has. And we are so thankful and yet in some ways baffled that you have given us this eternal treasure in such fragile jars. And yet that we ask that our bodies on this life and the weakness and the trials that we endure would point others to you and remind ourselves not to become conceited, but to rest in your power. Yours is the eternal. Yours is the great power. And your power is made perfect in weakness. And so magnify our weakness in the eyes of other people so that they can see your glory shining through us. And we ask that you would help us to have courage to carry the death of your Son, as we live out his life, that we would suffer before we receive glory, and that we would suffer so that others may gain life. And we know that's going to be difficult and scary and discouraging at times, and we ask that you would give us courage and boldness as we carry that message out. And finally, Lord, we long that these bodies would be swallowed up by immortality. And we ask that in this life that we would make it our aim to please you and that we would have courage no matter what happens to know that the sufferings of this life are not meant to be compared to the glory that awaits us and so help us to press on toward that glory so that we may live forever with you in jesus name amen